Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, family. This is an addendum to my notes, and I am recording this on March 20th of 2022. Was Deborah a last resort? Each year, when we get to the book of Judges, I am reminded of the common arguments made either against Yahweh's judgment in choosing Deborah or as to why Yahweh had no other choice. Two of the leading arguments are that Yahweh chose a woman because there were no qualified or willing men, or Yahweh chose a woman as a punishment for Israel. In this article, I'm going to argue that Yahweh's judgment is better than our own, and that neither of the aforementioned excuses we have come up with and helped to perpetuate over time are biblical. Rather, they actually contradict the Bible, denigrate the Father's wisdom, and cast aspersions on His choice to lead Israel during the time of Deborah. Let us begin with the argument that there were no willing or able men at the time that Yahweh rose Deborah up to be a judge. Immediately, I'm taken back to the day that Yahweh called Moses, his first mediator and the man he chose to give his law through. Throughout Exodus chapters 3 and 4, we see the father telling Moses that he has been chosen to lead his people and represent him. Normally, you'd think this would be a simple conversation, like it was in Isaiah wherein the father said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. But no, with Moses, we have two chapters of him going back and forth, arguing with the father over this. Who am I to do such a thing? I'm not qualified. But I'll be with you, says the father. If I tell them all you said, they won't listen to me, and they'll ask me what your name is. Here, I'll tell you my name. But they won't believe me or listen to my voice. They'll think I made it up, that you appeared before me. Then let me show you signs. Here, the staff in your hand. Throw it down on the ground and watch. Moses did this, and it became a snake. And the text tells us that he immediately ran from it. I can't even imagine his mental state at this time. With all of his excuses being dismissed as he feverishly tries to get out of doing this, and here's this God insisting that he come to work for him. Now one more excuse fails, and he throws down his staff as Yahweh instructs, and oh my goodness, it's a snake! Ah! (laughs) Moses clearly takes a breath and recovers a bit because he follows Yahweh's instructions to grab the snake by the tail, and it turns into his staff again. Is the arguing over now? Has Moses accepted his fate? Hardly. The father gives him yet another sign to show the people by instructing him to put his hand in his cloak and pull it out to have Zerat. Then repeat to have his hand fully restored. Now will Moses acquiesce? One would think, but no. He offers up yet another excuse. Even if they do listen to me, they won't believe me. The father finally puts an end to these arguments of disbelief by giving a third sign amid his reassurance. Exodus 4, 8 through 9. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, 
You shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you should take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So Moses' arguments have been put to rest. Surely he's willing now. But again, no. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. In the past, I have not been, and even not after speaking with you, I'm still slow of speech and tongue. After all of this, Moses either still does not believe that Yahweh can work through him, or he's reluctant for a myriad of other reasons, likely a mix of both. Yahweh responds by reminding him that he is the one who made his mouth, who makes people mute, deaf, seeing, or blind, and he will be with him and teach him how to speak. Dad burn it, all of Moses' arguments have been met with Yahweh's assurance. Will he accept his calling now? Nope. A final statement is found in Exodus 4.13. Oh Lord, please send someone else. At this point, we're told that the father became angry with Moses. Now, according to the most common argument against Deborah, that there was no unwilling or qualified men, this is the point where the father should throw up his almighty arms and say, Fine then, I'll just have to send a woman. But does that happen? Nope. Moses would not accept his calling on his own, bringing forth excuse after excuse. He would not have faith in the father to send him alone. And so the father decides to send his brother Aaron with him. It doesn't get more reluctant and unwilling than that. Oh, wait, maybe it does. Let's look at Jonah. In chapter one of Jonah, we read, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. That's Jonah 1 verses 1 through 3. Did you see that? When Yahweh told Jonah what his assignment was, Jonah just ran away from home. Did Yahweh pick a woman in his place because he was unwilling? No, he continued with his choice. And although it took the belly of a whale, the father's will was done through Jonah. Does this pattern of the father choosing unqualified and unwilling men to serve him end here? Y'all know the answer to that. Let's just look at one more. In Hebrews 11.32, Gideon is listed among the heroes of the faith. That verse reads, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now, being listed among these people, surely he was willing and an eager servant of Yahweh, right? Well, in Judges chapter 6, verses 12 through 18, beginning around verse 12, the angel of Yahweh appears to Gideon, calls him a mighty man of valor, and tells him that Yahweh is with him. Gideon responds by saying, If he's with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonderful things he did for our forefathers? Nope, you got to be wrong. He is not with us. He has forsaken us. We're then told in Judges 6.14 that Yahweh, now notice the language switch from angel of Yahweh to Yahweh, says, Go, because I am sending you, and you will save Israel from the hand of Midian. Side note, note that the text tells us this is the angel of Yahweh. And the angel speaks in the first person of Yahweh. This might need a little digesting. Anyway, does Gideon get up and go? Nope. He continues to argue. My clan is the weakest, and I'm the least in my father's house. How can I save Israel? 
He continues after this to seek further assurance. Gideon was unwilling and unqualified. So did Yahweh just choose a woman instead? Clearly he did not. These are just three examples of unwilling and unqualified men being used by the Father. There are more within the Bible. Yahweh chose who He chose and made them into leaders by His will and His might. It denigrates His wisdom and His power to say that He cannot raise up whomever He chooses to lead at whatever time He chooses. Although we do see many great men of God object to His choice of them, we see no such incident recorded with Deborah. Further, while we are clearly told Deborah was a woman, we see no record of the Israelites having an issue with this. They knew she was chosen by Yahweh, and they trusted in His judgment. We see no record of them trying to make excuses or explain to people why Yahweh would not have done such a thing, as we see in believers today. Another argument is that the choice of Deborah was a punishment for Israel which tarnishes the blessing of Yahweh, even though this too is not supported anywhere in Scripture. We are told that judges were sent to save, like rescue, deliver, champion Yahweh's people in Judges 2 verse 16. As evidence of this, we are told Israel prospered under her reign and was even given 40 years of rest. See Judges 5 verses 6 through 7, Judges 5 31, and Judges 2 verses 18 through 19. During Deborah's time as a judge, Israel had male noblemen, princes, and leaders. See Judges 5, verses 2 through 3, Judges 5, 9, and Judges 5, 15. Further, there were many good men who willingly served under Deborah. Judges 5, 2. Not to even mention Barak, who was also listed as a faith hero in that Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 33 passage, and who asked Deborah to go with him into battle though there were male leaders available for this. See Judges 5-7. Now, some argue that Barak was unsure of himself, lacking confidence, and that's why he wanted Deborah to go into battle with him, despite there being no biblical evidence of this. However, in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, after Moses has a conversation with God about leading Israel, he ended the conversation by saying, Okay, but if you want me to do this, you have to go with me. Do people see this as a weakness on the part of Moses? Not hardly. We count that as a reliance upon Yahweh and understanding that he needed Yahweh's strength. The same can be said of Barak, as he knows that Deborah is Yahweh's chosen representative. Therefore, why is there such an insistence that Deborah was Yahweh's last resort? Why make these excuses? Because this is an instance where the Bible contradicts our doctrine. And so, in order to uphold our doctrine, we must add to the Word things that are simply not there. Is this wrong? Absolutely. On every level. Historically, ethically, morally, and biblically. For me, helping to usher thousands of people through the whole Bible each year, many of whom have never read it in its entirety, I've come to expect folks to understandably struggle with some things. Now, often, I find myself in a position where people take issue with the Word, and they want me to explain the Father's behavior. Sometimes I can do this. 
Other times, I find that people will not be satisfied with my explanations because what they really want is an excuse for why Yahweh did something that can make their errant doctrine continue to make sense. When we try to make excuses for the Father's behavior in order to force it to line up with our synthetic doctrine, we're in a position of actively looking for ways to trust in our own wisdom over His. Let's stop doing that. Trying to mold the Bible to suit us is exactly how we ended up where we are today, a people who, far too often, follow man's doctrine over the Bible. Jesus, Yeshua, condemned this centuries ago, but yet here we are. See Matthew fifteen nine, and by the way, he was quoting Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. The Bible is a straight edge to which all else must line up, not the other way around. So what can we do? Test your doctrine. Test these things that we've been taught. See 1 Thessalonians 5.21. And if they don't line up, let them go. Stop perpetuating this. Stop adding to the word what is not there. See Deuteronomy 4.2. So according to the Bible, Moses was Yahweh's first choice. Jonah was Yahweh's first choice. Gideon was Yahweh's first choice. And yes, Deborah was Yahweh's first choice. If that doesn't fit in with our idea of God, maybe we should change our idea rather than try to change God. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.